Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast. Wherever you are right now listening to this, I want to thank you for your support. In this podcast, you'll get my views on lifestyle, self-improvement, and business, all in an aim to unlocking your confidence and helping you feel the best you can every day of your life. Also, at any time during this podcast or if any of my videos have helped you in the past, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on the platform you're listening to this. Five stars, of course, would be awesome, but I'll leave that up to you. Every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. So lock in and enjoy today's episode. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpham Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest and a dear friend of mine. Um, Sven Raphael Snyder, the founder of uh, Fort Belvedere, and also the Gentleman's Gazette, um, an incredibly popular men's style website that is specifically designed and caters to a higher class gentleman with higher end products and, and a little bit more elegant of a sort of spin as opposed to a lot of the other you know, street style type type uh, vlogs. You also run an incredibly successful YouTube channel. Um, we have gotten to know each other over the years. And um, you are, you are, for me, you are like blue cheese. When I first met you, or when I first met you, Raphael, or I've got to be honest, I was like, oh man, I don't know that I'm going to like this guy. Antonio was like, no, you got to trust me. It's just because he's German. And uh, I said, all right, all right. All right. And uh, when I met you, and, and that is something that I hear all the time, everybody absolutely loves you. It do doesn't expect you to be this, this, this just jovial, amazing you know, person. I don't know why they wouldn't expect that, but Raphael, talk to me a little bit about your background because you have a very, very, very interesting sort of story and how you sort of got to A, this country, and B, sort of into the men's style space. Well, uh, thank you for the short intro, Aaron. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, um, okay, first, I think the reason some people may think I'm kind of an asshole, and that's what, what you thought is that I'm a German, right? A little more direct. And then also, <laughs> I went to law school. That helps too. And uh, sometimes it's just, you know, very, very strict. And I think I also value my time so I can be short with people. And uh, I understand that, but uh, that's it. So now back to your question. What was it again? <laughs> <laughs> My question was, you are a German lawyer that found itself or yourself in the US running one of the most popular style websites online. How do you go from that to this? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I started and I, I grew up in like a rural Germany and we had cows behind my house. My parents weren't into anything clothing or style related and they were like nurses at a hospital. And so um, I had just found this, this private law school, which is something was more unusual in Germany. And, and I, we couldn't afford to pay for it, but that is option that you just go there and you pay at a later point in time. So it was like, oh, wow, that's something I could actually do. And I, I was uh, mesmerized by it until I went to law school and I realized, oh, this sucks. Like the first internships and everything accounting for your day in like six minute increments. I knew it, it wasn't right for me, but at that point, if I would have dropped out, it would have been like, I would have to pay, right. I would owe the money for the tuition and stuff. And I was like, I can't do that. So I kept going, came to the U S and uh, met my now wife during a Halloween party in 2006 at a law school frat house. And then uh, we went like back and forth and I came back to the U.S. in 2009. Mm -hmm. And um, then we got married at the end of the year. And 
I really, um, you know, didn't have a work permit. And I was like, what's, what's my hobby? And, and during my teenage years, I had started selling like fountain pens on eBay. And that way I got into cufflinks and clothes. And I really simply, you know, enjoyed it. And I was like, well, I have time. I can't work. Let's start this. And it was really a hobby. It was, you know, big, uh, yeah. The other recession we had, big recession in 2009, right? No one hired anyone. The economy was bad. So it was kind of my only option. And then once I had the work permit, people had actually, advertisers had, had paid me. And I was like, oh, wow, I could make money this way. Let's try to how pursue did, this. How did you start? When you first started, Did you started with the website, the Gentleman's Gazette. Yes. Okay. Were you writing all the articles? How did that come about? Yeah, you know, it, it was a hobby. And initially it was just a blog because blogs were still like, the new thing back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Still relatively new. And I was like, you know, I think I can do it better. <laughs> um, so I, I have to do it better. And I, I, I still wanted to have my own domain. You know, you could have just gotten a blogspot, whatever domain, mm-hmm. but it was like, no, let's do this right. And uh, I just happened to stumble upon WordPress. I didn't know anything about web development or websites. I thought I'll do it in Dreamweaver. And then uh, someone said, hey, there's this new thing called WordPress. And I was like, okay. There was also like Drupal and other platforms. Yeah, but yeah. Turned out WordPress was kind of the big thing uh, later on. At the time, it, it wasn't quite clear yet. But it was definitely a lot easier than, than traditional HTML websites. Yeah, I mean, I wrote everything myself. It was just like me doing it basically as a hobby. And at what point did you start selling products? How long did you have the, the blog before you actually started selling products on your website? You know, people actually started asking pretty quickly. I think even like 2011, um, you know, 2010, people asked like, oh, what do you get at stuff? And I was like, wow, this could be something. And then we founded an LLC together with my wife and business partner, Teresa. We're 50-50 owners of the Gentleman's Gazette. And then it took us a, a year and a half from like, you know, deciding to, to do products, to designing stuff, finding vendors, creating a web shop, packaging, warehouse, all that stuff. So I think we started selling towards the end of 2013. And so this is very interesting. So, you know, you run a very successful e-commerce business along with the, the, the blog or the blog. And the blog is basically, you know, in terms of SEO, you know, that is where a lot of people find you and they come and, and you're talking about all of these luxurious items and you decided to create a platform to sell these items, but your items are different than a lot of the cheap shit that you find online. All of your items are sourced and, and meet a very high standard of quality. At what point did you start the Fort Belvedere, which is your brand? What point did you start the Fort Belvedere brand and move away from selling like other people's products? What was that sort of that, that, what was the process like? Because I think a lot of people, when they start thinking about selling products as an e-commerce platform, they think about, you know, hey, I could sell other people's products, but actually developing your own brand and moving away from, you know, selling other people's and just, you know, focusing on, you know, your own. What was that process like? How did it happen? Was it an organic sort of evolution or was it, you know, just a gradual thing? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, like, like to think, or like take the easy route, right? I want to make money quickly. I'll just get in back then it would put an eBay account. Um, Amazon was just like, was there, but it wasn't as big as it is today. And then just sell someone else's product. Well, I always like to do things the hard way because it kind of keeps out a certain amount of competition, right? It's like, I don't know, 
YouTube and, and Facebook, right? Making videos consistently is much harder than taking a photo consistently or, or writing a tweet consistently or a Facebook post. That's why now there's hundreds, thousands of Instagram accounts, but only very few YouTube channels because of that. And that same mindset applied to the products, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon was already growing. I realized that as a small business, we could never be able to compete with, with like Zappos selling, you know, Ellen Edmonds shoes or whatever it is. Sure. And other than that, I also like the idea of, of being able to create products that are not out there that I would like myself, but um, it, it, it just worked hand in hand. It was like, it was, yes, it's a lot harder to create your own brand because now I you know things can go wrong, right? I mean, you had that example where you, you made a product and then it was all wrong and you had to throw it all out. I mean, that's a huge ton of money that you have yeah. to throw out. Um, but at the same time, you, you control the product. You control everything that goes into it. You understand how, how it works and you can work with a vendor. Plus, let's say, you know, you, you work on socks and you work with a vendor and they're cutting you out. And I had seen it at the time. There was a site called um, a Suitable Wardrobe and he had promoted ties from a certain vendor in the US and, you know, they were popular. And then the vendor was like, well, thank you for promoting my brand. Now I'll cut you off and sell them directly to consumer. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't control that versus if I build a brand, I control what the quality is. And if I find a better manufacturer, I can switch and still under the same brand. And I just had a much more long-term view of what I wanted to do. And I think let's go there. What is the long-term view of, of your business and your brand Fort Belvedere? You know, when, when I, or when when Nine Teresa started, it was like, oh, let's just get started, you know, sell some products. And we said, let's do accessories because if you start with with jackets or shoes that just required a lot of capital investment that we did not have, right? We were a bootstrap company. We started with like $300 each, so $600 total and made advertising revenue. Well, if you have to buy products, people want money up front. They don't know you. So that was one step. But the vision was to create this kind of full-fledged brand. Think of maybe, you know, Ralph Lauren, which is very focused on, on, on gentlemen and in the close specter. And maybe mm. even beyond that, right? Having like maybe a Chesterfield um, couch or a chair or a nice barware, everything related to the gentleman's lifestyle. But of course, we came from the clothing niche, right? So that's where we kind of started. Mm-hmm. Over time, I realized, you know, it, it, it takes a while to develop things. Sometimes things go wrong. And um, I, I still would like to get there, right? Having that full-fledged brand, but also build a community where people in real life, I know it sounds crazy these days, but in real life, interact and, you know, get dressed up, wear their tuxedos, wear their white tie outfits, um, live that lifestyle in a right setting. And doing those kind of things, I'm not an event manager, right? It's, it's hard, so we have to get people yeah. on board to do all of that. But that's where I see us going, creating community, a full-fledged brand for gentlemen's lifestyle. And that's why we don't do women's stuff or, you know, we're not going to bring out a sneaker line or because that doesn't fit to sure. the brand. Sure, makes sense. No, it, it makes total sense. So talk a little bit for those out there that are actually thinking about wanting to maybe develop their own line or their own brand. How do you go about sourcing or finding manufacturers? What would be a tip for somebody to go out and, and find, I'm not saying to find, you know, socks that compete with yours, but just what is the process of going out and selecting and finding somebody to work with to manufacture your own products? 
you know, it, it comes down, first step is, what is my market and, and, and where do I want to be? For us, it was like, we want to create quality products because that's what I liked. And I wasn't interested in just making a lot of money with, with cheap products, right? So for me, that was clear. I also had, I, I would always visit craftsmen because I'm originally from Europe. So, you know, sometimes I would do that. That being said, I think if you don't have that to tap into, um, traditional trade shows are the best way to get an idea of what's going on in the market, right? Hey, I want to sell clothes. Well, maybe you go to PTUOMO and, and check out what's going on. Or there's like market, or there's um, um, some other trade shows in the US that you can go to. And there are tons of vendors. That just gives you a first glimpse of what's out there, what you can do. And you can talk to people and maybe things come out of that. But if you're really starting and you have no idea how to, how to find a vendor, I'd say don't go just to Alibaba and, and try to find someone to work with, with that yeah. remote distance. Go to a trade show, educate yourself, see what's out there, and you will find people you can work with to begin with. Maybe it's not the best fit. Maybe the margins are not right. Um, there's always limitations, yeah. but... You know, Alibaba, Alibaba is interesting, though. You know, for what you are wanting to do, Alibaba isn't an option, right? You're focused on quality. You are focused on craftsmanship. It is about building a sustainable brand. But for a lot of people that are looking to, say, make, you know, maybe it's a pair of pen or a pen or, you know, a pair of sunglasses, something that, you know, you don't necessarily need to have that, 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 that craftsmanship or that quality. And, and here's the thing. A lot of times when it comes to China, what I have found is that, you know, they are going to be able to manufacture the products, but it really does boil down to the, the quality of the, the ingredients or the, the pieces that you're having them, you know, put together in terms of sunglasses, right? There's, I'm just going to be completely honest. I went to Alibaba when I wanted to create a sunglass company. I went to Alibaba and I was looking at people to find, you know, who makes sunglasses. I contacted these, these different vendors. They sent me samples. I looked at the samples and then I went back to them. I, they, they, the samples that they sent were shit. And I'm like, okay, but you know, do they have the potential? Can we actually upgrade and elevate the quality in order to make, you know, a higher quality product? And, um, and I have had really good experience working with them. And, um, you know, but a lot of people, they don't want to do that, but it is in, in terms of a marketplace to find a product, if you are not specifically looking to make super high quality leather goods, um, you know, or something of that nature, it is an option for people to look on Alibaba, but you do have to test, you do have to see what's out there. And, um, you know, oftentimes the minimum order, order quantity is going to be a little bit higher with an Alibaba as opposed to going to some sort of more boutique craftsman like you would do, I would imagine, right? You don't necessarily absolutely, need to absolutely. And you know, you mentioned a lot about it. yeah. The thing is, when you start there, right? There's so many vendors. Yeah, you can try different ones, and and it's just harder to create a connection with people because you don't know who wants to kind of you know just make a quick buck. Who's interested in a long term relationship? Like for sunglasses, right? There are like sunglass shows in in Milan. There's one I think in Paris, and there's one in Hong Kong. So if you're like thinking of, hey, I want to maybe do something in China, well, there's going to be tons of people in Hong Kong, and I think it's money well spent on the plane ticket and just just going there. Now, Absolutely. or if you have a connection in in some way, of course, you can also just blindly go to Alibaba, see what you find, who replies, and who works with you, and then create samples. I think if you go that route, creating prototypes and making sure that you have the exact prototype and not say, oh, now we're at this stage, now just change this and it'll be okay. 
I think that's when things always go wrong. Yeah. Um, make sure you Spe invest the extra time in the prototype to speaking get it exactly of, the way you want. Speaking of going wrong, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you have done that have gone wrong. Um, I would like this to be a little bit of a learning experience for people. What have been some, some big uh-ohs in, in the evolution of your business and your brand? Can you specifically point to one or two? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, products, I think the biggest mistakes happen in the prototype stage if you don't test something properly. Because what I found in China, I know sometimes if you work with, with someone in Italy or Germany and that they're crafty and they have a tradition in that, they think about a lot of things that you don't think about and just make it right. In China, sometimes they just wait for you to give them everything you want and they just do it. And if you don't know about it and you give them something, it may seem right, but you don't feel tested properly enough. You will see the flaws later on. Well, now you've produced all that stuff. It's all faulty and it's, it sucks, right? So that has yeah. definitely happened with products. And uh, um, that has um, led us now to decide, hey, let's create a much better process of bringing prototypes in, have a, a group of testers, you know, who are really into it. So you, you don't have these issues down the line. Other things can be, you know, uh, choosing or working with the wrong partners. I remember once we had a warehouse that, and, you know, they, um, they just suggested a rate and I was like, okay, I didn't negotiate on the rate with them because <laughs> I figured I want them to make money. And, and that, that was in my mind, right? If, if I'm, if I'm too low and then they don't make money with me, they just drop me and have to find someone else. Well, nevertheless, they couldn't make it work. And they didn't just say, Hey, can you just pay us more? They just said, we don't want to work with you anymore. And it was like, you know, November and I was um, on a, on a Nile cruise in Egypt with like, you know, shitty 2G internet and trying to find, you know, <laughs> make things work and yeah. finding a new warehouse for the Christmas season, which is the biggest one that, that you need. Um, another time, you know, we, we bought gift boxes in, in China and uh, um, I don't even remember how I found them originally, but I, you know, I had, one, I worked with one company and it worked out, but the next time I contacted them, they were out of business. So I had to find a new company and I reached out to them and sent them samples. And the whole sample process took longer, right? I said, hey, I want this weight and then they shipped something back and it was lighter. And I was like, no, I want this weight. So they did another one and it was right. And then they were like, oh, but you don't need it that thick. I was like, yes, I want it that thick. And then they're like, well, we already bought all this paper. It was like, I don't care. We agreed on this. And then I think what happened is they bought probably paper that was cheaper because they already had made that investment. Mm -hmm. So uh, long story short, when the boxes arrived here, they all had like mold and they were molding from the inside out and had no. packages, small boxes inside the big ones. No. So <laughs> everything was molded. So How do you only, deal with that? How do you deal uh, with that? Raphael, well, only, what do you do? Well, not only do you waste, you know, your, your 20 grand or 30 or 50 grand of money, but now you also have to pay because it's, you know, like hazardous waste, whatever. You have to pay another five grand to just get rid of all that stuff. And uh, for some reason, not, it's very unusual in China that they let you pay with credit card, but I had insisted on that. So I, I had paid for the freight and I had paid for getting rid of it. And, but I did, I got my money back through a chargeback for the boxes. Okay. So I was just out like maybe like, you know, I think $12,000. $12, so still painful, right? And uh, as a small business, if but you that's just a have 50 that's a, grand to work with and you start out, that can just break your business right there. But that's a business lesson. You know, if you can, you know, use a credit card to, to possibly, you know, mitigate some potential damages if, if you do that. 
Um, so basically what I just heard you say is, is you've started this, this, this clothing gentleman empire from $300 essentially, correct? Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's nowhere near the empire you have created. <laughs> it's, but, just different. Uh... <laughs> it's just different. It's just different. It's different. It's different. Um, but no, seriously, you have, I mean, you know, this is the, this is the American dream. And the thing that I love so much about you and your story is you followed your passion. You followed something that you were interested in. You went to school, became an attorney, moved here. You were into style, you were into accessories, yeah. and you just kind of went with it. And it wasn't this big idea of, oh, someday I'm going to have this gigantic brand. It was, you started pulling the thread on the sweater and just as it has unfolded, you have grown. You haven't rushed things. You haven't done anything too outlandish, which is smart because, you know, you never know when you're going to have a COVID situation, right? I mean, who would have thought and expected this? So many people have all of their eggs in one basket, but you have done an incredible job in terms of, in terms of just, just, just being smart and disciplined with the way that you have grown your business. So tell me a little bit about, about your strategy in terms of employees. What have been some of the best hires or the best hire that you have made? I think that's one of the challenging things when you're an entrepreneur. You know, you worry about spending that money. It's like, oh man, you know, if I, if I actually hire somebody, that's, you know, 50, 30, 20,000, 30,000, whatever that number is, I can just do it myself. Talk a little bit about scaling your business in terms of hiring and employees. Yeah. Um, before I do that, I yeah. just want to say that, you know, um, when, when I came here, right, there were no jobs. I think if I had gotten a job, it would have been much more difficult to, to start a business on the side. And I've often seen when people are forced to do things, right, they lose their job or something happens. That's where the magic happens when they can focus full time on something. But when you kind of are always afraid to leave your safe nest and, and take a risk, that's when things are slow or don't really get off the ground. I agree 100%. And in terms of employees, I think where most people start, and it was the same with me and it was the same with you, it's the beginning, right? We think we, we know it all and we know it best. It has to be exactly that way. And that only gets you so far. And I remember early on, you know, talking to, to Antonio and he was like, well, are you still doing everything yourself? And I was like, yes. But that was also the point when I realized if I just keep doing it, there will probably be the point of burnout because I felt like I had to write posts every day and I translated them into German and I just had to work hard. And he was like, well, I know I started working with virtual assistants from the Philippines and I've trained them and they do all of this work and it really helps me. And that was when I was like, like wow. Right. And so I hired that first person and I thought it was okay for, for the money I paid. And then I, I got the next person because she left and she was so much better. And it was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Right. And then I got the next person, which was even better. Of course, my interview skills got better. So that's how we started out in the beginning. And then um, Teresa joined in 2015. She had a job with 3M. And at that point, you know, we wanted to be able to be flexible and travel and, and work from anywhere. So she joined the business. And then um, we often worked with um, vendors. Right? We have a warehouse, which is a third-party logistics warehouse, which in the beginning I was like, I don't want to fulfill anything from in-house. I want that outsourced and I want it to scale with us. So in a COVID situation or whatever situation, I don't have this massive bill that I have to pay and nothing that comes in, but it's always kind of scaled on how much I sell. And then um, we 
hired um, for a video personality and we thought, oh, maybe we do something part-time. And then we found like um, Preston who was local here and um, really liked the topic, but he also had another full-time job offer. So we were like, well, if we want to do this, we'll probably have to offer him a full-time job offer, right? And then he came in and uh, then it quickly you know, turned into, wow, you can do this, 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 and that. And uh, now he's kind of content director and manages that part. And, and I think just having a realization of you need good people to, to grow your company. And um, that has really helped. And we found that personality tests are huge, right? Because there's one thing, it's like the core values. Do we share the same values, right? Are you, are you proactive, right? Do you, do you look to the future? Do you, do you use data? Do you have high standards? And if, if, if there's a misfit, I think that's going to be a bad employee. But then also... Sure personality wise, right? If we get another person like me in here, it's not going to work. That the the personality profiles have to complement each other. And ultimately they have to be happy and and we have to be happy because if the employee is not happy and and doesn't like the work and doesn't like the environment and the culture, um, they can bring everything down and be like a, you know, the bad apple that spoils everything around them. Best tip for working with your wife. You know, in, I mean, in terms of, and, and, and because this is something where a lot of people ask me, oh, does your wife work with you? I'm like, no, we'd kill each other. But you have, have made it work from, you know, early on. And in 2015, she left her job and, and has come full time. Um, how, how do you manage that? How do you, how do you spend that much time together? Is it about staying in your lane? One person focuses on, I mean, talk me through a little bit how yeah. you make it work. Yeah. Because you know, I couldn't I, do it. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, it it, it, it it can be a struggle, right? In the beginning, there was this like, well, Teresa came from a job where she was highly valued, where she was really good and she was the expert in something, coming into something where she knows not so much. I mean, because we've been together, she knew a lot about clothes already, but the business things and how all the processes, how they worked, right, was one thing. And I, you know, had all in my head so there wasn't like a neatly laid out process and I'm not that organized. I don't like external structure and also my internal structure is not high. So, right, there was this kind of disconnect and that felt that that led to kind of, you know, unhappiness or just not knowing what to do. She's like a type A. She likes to plan and know what's going on. I'm like, I have that intrinsic drive. I don't need other people to motivate me, right? I see the end outcome and I, I like to solve problems and, and go into that range. Um, so that, that was, that was hard. And I think we just now have figured out how to do it. And it came down to like self-awareness, right? We work with a, a business coach. It's a former therapist. It's uh, called scaling within. And then it was like, you know, who am I? What are my personality traits? What are her traits? How can we work together and understand each other and consciously try to do that? And I think one of the most important things was that we are in our lane, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. she is the integrator, meaning she makes sure the, the processes happen. She manages people. She thinks that part through. I'm the visionary. I come up with the ideas. I, I drive things. And she's the ones like, well, how do we do it? How do we implement it? And so we each play to each other's strengths. And, and I think that's important. Otherwise, eventually, if the power dynamic is off, sure, I think it'll you know, sync your business and make your relationship. All right. So while we wrap this up, Raphael, I've got a few, a few questions. You do a series on your YouTube channel. Is it worth it? 
Yes. Where you take high-end brands, high-end products, like whether or not it's a Louis Vuitton. Uh, you, you've actually, you're the one that taught me how to say that, Louis Vuitton. <laughs> am, I, am I butchering it? But, you know, Louis Vuitton. And then the Burberry trench coat. I mean, you, you go after these like very sort of classic menswear, you know, lifestyle items and you buy them for yourself. And I have a theory that you just want them. And so you're like, hey, let me, let me, let me buy them for myself and, and do a video and talk about it. Um, talk to me a little bit about sort of that, 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 that lifestyle or the, the, the brands that you're, you're sort of reviewing. These are some really premium classic, you know, brands and, and, um, you know, legacy brands like Louis Vuitton and, and Burberry. Yep. What, what product have you bought that was very, very expensive that really you felt the value was there? What product would that be? You know, actually, just today, I think we have the, um, is an Hermes belt worth it, for example, right? And uh, yeah, um, to summarize it, we, we try to use brands that are iconic, right? Not just yeah. expensive, but that have kind of stood the test of time that people have heard of, like a Rolex or, you know, mm -hmm. those kind of things that, that people know what it is, sure. but they're very expensive. So the Hermes belt, for example, right? Unlike the, the Louis Vuitton bag, um, uses very high quality leathers, right? The, the workmanship is very neat and you pay a very high price, but at least you, you get a, a, a very good product. Like nothing about their stuff is, is better cheap versus with the Louis Vuitton, right? The, you get like a cotton that has like a vinyl coating, right? Which is like cheap and, and, and you just pay a high price for it. So that's something where I'm like, yeah, you, you pay a lot of money and you really get something that has a low quality. So all you pay for is a name and a recognition, which sometimes that's what people want and that's yeah. what you get. That's fair. With Hermes, for example, you can uh, uh, buy something and know that it's of a high quality. Of course, even they, you know, they, when they show you how their, their um, bags are made, right? They show you all that handwork. And, but not every seam is made by hand. They just show you the ones that are made by hand and the rest is done by machine off camera. <laughs> and, and that's it, the belts, you know, they don't have videos about how their belts are made because they're made by machine. Yeah. So they don't want to kind of push that picture of, oh, we're, we're they want to have that handmade, you know, mindset. Everything is handmade, everything is handmade. And uh, here we show you that this is handmade. So how much was, so how much was the belt? That's my question, how much was the belt? I think 875. And was the analysis and the conclusion that it was worth it? Is a Louis Vuitton Keepall Boundary Air 55 bag worth its money or not? In my opinion, the one word answer is no. Well, you know, for me personally, I, I don't care about the brand really, right? I'm more about, can I get this quality elsewhere? And typically the answer is yes, right? Because you can go to a custom belt maker who makes you exactly what you want with exactly the thread color and you get that. Do I, do I want to wear an Hermes H buckle? No, I don't. But if you're someone who wants to, you know, intentionally kind of show that you've made some money or that you're wealthy, um, you know, it may be worth it. I, for example, I'm not a Rolex guy, right? A Rolex guy to me is, is a watch that a lot of people have. I mean, you have very nice Rolexes that very few people have. And I've talked to people who are like, you know, sometimes in a business meeting, like um, I'm a woman, having that Rolex Daytona gives me respect and credibility. So for her, it's absolutely worth it, right? For me, where I don't have a boss, I don't need to impress people, I can just wear whatever I want, right? So for me, the value is not there. And sure. that's, I think, 
the essence of the series is there is not no uniform answer. I can just tell you, do they use good quality? What do you get for your money? And then it's up to you to decide if it's worth it or not. I love that. Um, so let's talk real quick about some, some of your favorite brands, maybe, maybe best value brand. You, you talk a lot about the, the gentleman's lifestyle and, mm-hmm. and higher end, higher quality products. Is there like a secret sort of maybe like a brand that kind of flies a little bit maybe under the radar that has amazing quality that is priced super affordably? Yeah, I think, you know, the, I think actually the shirt I'm, I'm wearing here right now is like, um, I think it's called Spear and McKay. You know, it's one of those young brands, I think Canadian, they have tried to make things um, more with higher end details, but it's, it's made in Asia, right? They use good fabrics and try to do things relatively affordably. So that, that's something where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool concept, right? There are lots of shirt sizes. They offer like custom shirts. I mean, I haven't tried everything they do, but I think that's a brand to, to look at, right? Or there's, um, we just did a, you know, best dress shoes under $300, right? And you, you look at the range of stuff and you're like, well, there's this Mermin line, you know, with where the shoes are made in China to a very high standard with a family from Spain or the last design and the knowledge. And so, yeah, for $300, you get an, a phenomenal, dress shoe that normally you'd have to pay, you know, from other makers, maybe $800 to get a comparable vendor. And they even like share with you, you know, oh, we get the letter from this tannery, which is something that other higher end users use too. So I'm like, yeah, that's, you get a pretty good, good value there. What about, uh, well, you don't have to answer this, but um, what about on the, on the flip side? Is there, what is, in your opinion, is there a brand that is just the most overhyped, overpriced brand out there that, that, uh, that in your opinion is absolutely not worth the money? Not worth the money. I would say like the Louis Vuitton stuff was pretty much out there. Um, we did like- That is so expensive. I went, my wife, and that's, that's like the Louis Vuitton, I can attest to this. The fact that it's not even leather, that's the thing that just blows my mind, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a canvas with like a plastic coating over it. I'm like, wait, wait, what? I didn't even, I didn't know that. I think you might have, so actually, somebody, you might have actually told me that. Maybe I watched your video and found that out after I bought my wife a bag and I was looking at the wallets. I'm like, wait, $800 for a, a little, a little, you know, a little, little two like card holder. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I agree. Anything else in terms of... Um, um, you know, I also think there's, you know, for example, you, you know, suit supply is, is great for you, right? And it works for your, works for your build and, and the workmanship is high and, and it's, it's, it's really good for what you get in that level. Well, for me, like when I go there, you know, I can't even find pants that fit, right? Yeah. And then even the jackets don't work either because something is, is, is not right for me. So sometimes even though something can have a good workmanship and craftsmanship, it just doesn't work for you, right? Yeah. And that's also something to, to keep in mind. I think overall, if you're a brand, you know, and you have, you produce really shitty products and charge a lot of money, over time, it's not gonna work out. But typically, you no know, brands, the way it works is they, they start out, right? And they make good products and they became this, rep- they get this reputation. And then, you know, investors come in and they want more kind of shareholder value. And then they lower the quality and maybe increase yep. the price. And eventually those brands, right, then um, uh, lose their credibility. And, and then it's their demise often, right? It's, it's very hard as a company over 200 years to kind of stay on top and, 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 and keep that, that brand cachet. 
because there's different motivations at play. No, I absolutely love that. And I think um, that's where we're going to wrap things up on that, on the term credibility. And that is something that I've really respected about you over the years of getting to know you. You are, what you see is what you get. There's no bullshit with you, Raphael. And I Thank think you. in a, in a <laughs> world of a lot of, a lot of people, you know, trying to be something more than they maybe are, or trying to, you know, put something out there that's not exactly who they are. You have maintained your credibility and, um, you know, just the fact that with your business, your integrity, everything has stayed rock solid. And um, it's something that, that I very much respect and appreciate from you. And I, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and, and value our friendship and look to you as sort of one of the leaders in this industry and the fact that you have, have built a business that I feel is sustainable and you have not compromised your values or your integrity. Um, yeah. I, just, I just very much appreciate that and, and, and you for, for doing what you do and being who you are. And even though when I first met you or I first heard of you, I'm like, I don't know. You have, you have, you have like I said, you've grown on me like blue cheese. I love it now and I can't get enough. Raphael, where can people find you? Well, uh, let me say uh, thank you. And, you know, I think what you've done from my mind of view is, is, is even more incredible, right? You have all these brands going, uh, you have cool people, Pete and Pedro, you know, Tish Handley, and you're in all these spaces, you know, they're like, oh, tooth whitening and sunglasses and, you know, but you've, you've made it work and you have your following and, and we all kind of have our history that kind of, you know, drive us in a certain way and, and make us who we are. And I think it's whatever you do, right, it's important to embrace who you are and not try to be something that you are not. Because even if you make money with it, if it doesn't fulfill you and make you happy, I mean, all we have on this planet is, is our time. And, you know, why do something that we don't like or, or think is, is crappy? 100%. Um, where people can find us, just Google Gentleman's Gazette. And then uh, you can find us on the website. Uh, we'll link to everything down below. Sven Raphael Snyder, you're an angel and a gentleman. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Aaron. Nice talking to you. Bye. Gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I appreciate your support. Once again, if you found this episode or any of the content I've put out in the past helpful, please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to this on. Once again, every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. And if you're looking to upgrade your sunglass game, don't forget to check out Enemy.com. Honestly, the quality of these glasses for the price is insane. Just read the reviews. Gentlemen, stay awesome.